Father, I pray that you'll give us just a, a small inkling of a picture of how holy you are. I know if you showed your true holiness to all of us at once, we would, we would fall over. We, there's no way we could handle that. But Father, we desire to dwell in your presence and to bow before your throne and declare you as holy, holy Lord. And I pray that as we begin to perceive that, that character quality of you, the God of the universe, that you would call us, that you would purify us to holiness, that nothing in us would get in the way of our relationship with you, that we'd be able to lay all those things down at your feet. Father, I pray that you would speak to each and every one here today. Lord, if there's anything in any one of our lives that is inhibiting the move of the Spirit of God in our lives or in this congregation, I call it out and ask that you move by your Spirit, by the presence of Jesus Christ today, that you call us to repentance and humility. God, people desperately need the knowledge of, of Jesus Christ. They need to know who you are. We are the demonstration and the body of Jesus Christ to this world, this community, to our families, to the people we work with, to this place that we live and call home, the place we call Eau Claire. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would transform us today by your presence, by your power, and by your living word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. What comes to your mind when I say the word bold? Bold. Courageous, strong, decisive, outspoken. Maybe Starbucks, bold French roast coffee. Maybe bold laundry detergent. Maybe the, the word or the number 300 as I bowled a perfect game. Just want to make sure you're awake today. Okay. Well, if truth be known, I believe most of us would like to be bold, courageous, and strong. To be able to stand up on our own two feet for ourselves and stand up for others. Most of us would probably desire to be liberated to be more daring. And this is especially true when it comes to our faith journey or our experience with God. I've had many people over the years express concern that they lack courage or boldness to tell others about their Christian faith. We can easily talk about Wisconsin or the Green Bay Packers, the upcoming hunting or fishing season, the sale of Menards or the price of gas or presidential race 
or politics, the new baby, diapering and potty training, the advantages of, of a new hip or knee replacement surgery, the stock market, home decorating, the, the latest movie or video game, college options, grandchildren, boldness not needed. But boldness for our faith, forget about it. I don't want that. We will bury that topic of conversation with current events or the weather. Where does one get boldness anyway? Don't you either have it or not? I'm either an extrovert or an introvert. That makes us uncomfortable. And we all, I admit, we all want comfortable. We want comfortable. What is boldness? What does it mean to be bold? And where does boldness come from? Boldness in the biblical sense comes from the word parousia, parousia, which means telling all, telling all. According to Lloyd Ogilvie, biblical boldness by definition is the conviction, communication, and the character of an adventuresome life based on undeniable truth and experience. Let me say that again. The conviction Communication and the character of an adventuresome life based on the undeniable truth and experience. Boldness combines, I know because it happened to me, with this is what God says. In other words, it combines experience and scripture, or experience and truth. Experience and truth. One of the most compelling character traits of the first century church, the first church that was born, that we are an extension of today, was something called boldness, boldness. And that's what we're going to talk about today, boldness. I owe some of the outline ideas to Lloyd Ogilvie, found in his commentary on Acts. But I want us to turn to Acts 4, Acts the fourth chapter. And we're, going to, we're going to go through the fourth chapter, two or three verses at a time, to look at what we can learn about the first century church, the first church, and boldness, boldness. Seven reasons for boldness. Acts 4, verse 1 through 4, first of all. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. What's the first basis of boldness? First of all, there's boldness because of the resurrection. Boldness because of the resurrection. That's what they were declaring. The resurrection was the motive. The resurrection was the motive. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central truth of Christianity. The fact that Jesus was ex executed, nobody, nobody will argue with that. Everybody will find that in, in historical documents, whether it is. But it was his resurrection that proved he was more than just a martyr. He was actually God. And his followers had witnessed Jesus alive after his death. And that provided this incredibly powerful motive. Because the resurrection occurred, the followers of Jesus had a mission 
and they had a message. The power that had raised Jesus from the dead had transformed them, transformed them as well. Their lives were radically changed, and that experience gave them boldness, boldness. When we see people we know declared dead, and they come back to life, we can have boldness to declare the reality of what God can do. When we truly believe in the resurrection power of God, we can live a life in the power of God to overcome anything. Anything. Our problems, complexities, tough circumstances. When we truly believe in the resurrection, we can rejoice for a loved one, a family member who has passed away, knowing that because Jesus conquered death, they are instantly transported into the presence of Jesus. Jesus conquered death, and the resurrection gives us boldness to live and boldness to die. Both. Doesn't matter. And we have no fear. Boldness. The resurrection. That was the main point of their message. Then we get to verse 5. Says the next day the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. And they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? They had healed this, this man. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people. Secondly, boldness is there because of. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the source of boldness. You say, I don't have boldness. Good. I don't either. The source of boldness is the Holy Spirit of God. We have in this story two ordinary, uneducated fishermen. Fishing back then in their day was not the complex business it is today. Now, when we lived in Seattle, we got to know we had fishermen that were friends, people that fished, and we would talk to them about the complexity of the fishing business. They had to get licenses and permits. They had seasons. They had catch limits. They had government regulations. They had to find a way to do the fish processing, all that, all those things. It was a very complicated business in Seattle and in Alaska, where Judy grew up. But back then, in this time, fishermen had... Boats and nets. Okay? They caught fish, they sold fish. Now, I don't want to oversimplify. I can't catch fish very well. So it wasn't all that easy. But they caught fish and they sold fish. These were ordinary, unschooled men. And these two men were summoned by the most prestigious, powerful, rich, educated political leadership in the entire nation. It'd be like testifying before Congress. And don't be fooled, it looks easy on TV. Talk to those who have done it. It's not, it's not a piece of cake. I would have been very intimidated going between before this august body of leadership. Not Peter. Why was Peter not intimidated? Because Peter, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit took possession of his mind. It saturated his emotions, moved his will, and energized his body. He was filled with God. Filled with God. And when you are filled with God, filled with truth, you have boldness. You've got boldness. 
The book of Acts speaks of being full of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. To be full of the Holy Spirit is when we totally surrender our lives and open ourselves to be soaked with God and allow him to overflow to others around us. It's a, it's a continuous state of being full. When it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, the grammatical structure is it's past aorist, passive participle. I know you were wondering that this morning. What grammatical structure is that? It was past aorist, passive participle. What that means is that being filled with the Holy Spirit was an act performed on Peter. In other words, it wasn't something he worked up or did himself. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, it was an act that God, the Holy Spirit, took on him at a special time in space for a special need. It was, it was done at a special time specifically for a special need. And that need, what was his need? Boldness. He needed boldness. That's what God does in us, filling us for a, a special need. And whether it's coping with a crisis, dealing with a temptation, giving needed boldness for a specific challenge. The source of our boldness is not our education, it's not our temperament, it's not our emotional intelligence, it's not our theology. The source of our boldness is and always will be the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Spirit. Is there anything you are facing that cannot be faced without the Holy Spirit? Is there anything? Just think about it. Is there anything in your life that cannot be faced without the power of the Holy Spirit? Is there anything you're attempting that cannot be accomplished without the Holy Spirit? I hope you are attempting things for God that are bigger than you can handle. Is there anything in our lives that demands an explanation? Is there anything in our lives that demands the power of God beyond what we are able to cope with, that we need power for? Apart from the Holy Spirit, nothing, we can't do it. Are we only living in the natural? That's the question. Are we living in the natural? Or are we living in the supernatural? Are we living in the supernatural? We will be filled with the Holy Spirit when we ask. We will be filled with boldness, daring to do what could never be done in our own strength, with our own insight. The Holy Spirit. The next three verses. Verses 9 through 11. If we are being called to account today, this is Peter's answer. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, we are asked how he was healed. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you, are, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. The stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. What was that boldness based on? It's boldness because of the name. The name. The name of Jesus is our authority. The name of Jesus is our authority. Has, has your authority ever been challenged? You're telling somebody to do something or they're doing something they shouldn't. You tell them to stop. And they look at you and they say, who are you? Who are you? In essence, they say, who gives you the authority to tell me what to do? 
I substitute taught school sometimes, and I taught school. I worked with two-year-olds, I worked with teenagers. So there have been times that they've said, who are you? Who are you? What gives you the authority to tell me what to do? Happens to all of us. What was the question Peter was asked? By what power and by what name did you do this? For us, name today, when we talk about name, it's just the handle we were given at birth. I don't know if you wrestled when, when we were, when our, our, our daughters were born. Some people have all the names picked out ahead of time. They know exactly what they're going to name their kid. Um, we, had, we had boys' names picked out. And so we were surprised. So we, had, we, had, we said, okay, now, what does she look like? You know, you're trying to fix, picture is this name fit or that name fit? And we're trying to figure out. And then, then you, you name them and you go, I hope I didn't make a mistake. You know, it's just one of those things. Name. To, for us, name is just a handle of who we are. and We name our, our, our children. The name in this setting is the nature, personality, authority, and power of that person. To speak or act in the name of another was to invoke their presence and power. In other words, they said, what gives you the right to do this act that you did? Jesus did. Jesus does. I have the authority, therefore, I am bold. I have the name of Jesus, and it's under his authority. What gives us boldness? What gives us authority? Not some magic words or formulas, nor just invoking a name of some sort. The name the person, power, and authority of Jesus comes through relationship. Now, if a group of criminals are surrounded by law enforcement and the guy in the megaphone says, this is the FBI, you are surrounded. What name is invoked? The FBI or federal agents or NYPD, whatever TV programs you watch. What is, the, what is the name we evoke? The name of Jesus. The name from which we derive our authority is where we get our boldness. If we have a relationship with Jesus. Amen. I, I can go to a place somewhere out and I can say on a megaphone, this is the FBI. It's not going to have any effect because I'm not, I'm not part of the FBI. I don't have the authority of the FBI. I have no relationship with the FBI. I don't work for the FBI. I have no authority to say this is the FBI. So I'm powerless. But if you're part of that in relationship, you've been given authority. You say this is the FBI. You've got authority. Invoking the name of Jesus without relationship with Jesus, not being in line with Jesus, his will and his authority renders us powerless. It's not just the name. It, it's the name that comes through an intimate walk and relationship with Jesus. And when we are in that relationship, walking with Jesus, we invoke the name of Jesus. It has power and we have boldness. Then the next statement. Verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Boldness. 
Number four, boldness because of Jesus only. Boldness because of Jesus only. Jesus only provides conviction. Conviction. Honestly, this is the most controversial tenet of truth in Christianity. That Jesus is the only way to God. Okay? Jesus said it. His disciples said it. Jesus is the only way to God. People says salvation is found in no one else. Were the followers of Jesus trying to establish an exclusive franchise on God? Were they trying to establish a timeless patent to reap the benefits? Aren't there many roads to God? Don't all religions lead to the same God? Is Jesus the only way? Come on, get real. One cannot be a true follower of Jesus Christ unless we subscribe to this Truth. Amen. Yes. It's a huge stumbling block to a lot of people. In John 14, Jesus' words, verses 6 through 11, said, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, the Father in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father in me, or at least believe the evidence of the miracles themselves. I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. One can be religious and believe there are many roads to God, but you cannot be a true Christian, follower of Jesus. There are immense differences between every other religion and Christianity. Huge differences. It's an illustration I've given before. It's do versus done. Bill Heibel started this or coined the phrase. Do versus done. Most religions are based on do, D-O. There's a list of regulations to fulfill religious obligations to please their God. And you ask people, how do you know when you've done enough? They'll say, I don't know. You can't know if you've done enough. That's due. All the religions of the world, other than Christian, are based on that. Christianity is expressed in D-O-N-E. Done. Done. Jesus paid the price. Salvation is a free gift to be accepted. Jesus did the work and he completed the task and he rebuilt that relationship. He paid for our sins. And restore the relationship with us and God the Father. It's done. It's not due. It's done. You study other religions and see what they believe about the the nature of God, the plan of salvation, how we seek God, the results of the life of the person who believes, the meaning of life, death, and eternal life. Look at other religions and compare. And at, at, at the very least, the conclusion is they are different, far different. Christianity 
alone stands on the death and resurrection of its founder. Death and resurrection. You can visit the graves of all the founders of the great religions. Doesn't matter who it is. And their bones or their remains are still there. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The tomb of Jesus is empty. Amen. There stands the incredible difference between all other religions and Christianity. Christianity alone states that Jesus is the only way. Christianity also stands at odds with humanism in some very critical points. Humanism states that mankind is basically good by nature and environment. And it's what's responsible for who we are, what we do, both negative and positive. We have to save ourselves. That people who grow up and commit crimes and violence had something in their environment that made them that way. Bad experiences or abuse, etc. Our, our environment and our upbringing profoundly affects us. But then how do you then account for people who've had an awful background and still grow up doing good things? Some experience untold trauma and abuse, but are kind, loving people. It's convenient to blame other people or our background or something else for our behavior. A guy named Steven Pinker wrote a book entitled A Blank Slate. He proposes that we all have genetic roots to our nature, that human actions and impulses can be explained by our genetic makeup. He states human nature is the problem and human nature is the solution. He got it half right. Human nature is the problem, but Jesus is the solution. We need a supernatural solution, God's solution. And the Bible says without that solution, we're beyond salvaging. Romans 3, 10 to 12 says this. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. It's a picture of the human nature minus God and out of the relationship with God. And salvation from that is found in no one else, nothing else, only Jesus Christ. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. His followers said that. Jesus is not an answer. Jesus is the answer. The answer. According to Olgavy, says the reason for the growing demise of the institutional Christianity, the church in America, is we've lost the Christ-only verb or message. Christ is all or not at all. He alone can save us. That has to be our main message. Amen. High school and college students today Millennials and G's, Gen Z have been raised and indoctrinated something called tolerance. Now, we hear about tolerance everywhere. It's tolerance at all costs. It's called political correctness. Christian Smith wrote a book called Soul Searching. 
the religious and spiritual lives of American teenagers and showed that while young people were open to sharing what they believed in God, they almost universally refused to say that they believed in Jesus. Why? They would say, I believe in God. I believe in a supernatural being. I believe in all that. But they did not want to use the word Jesus or the name Jesus. Why? Because of Jesus' claim to exclusivity. And that would be an offense to their peers. You can say God and mean many things. Jesus means only one person, one way. That has to be the center of our message. Jesus. Jesus. Do you believe that? Jesus only. Then verses 13 and 14. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Number five reason for boldness. Boldness because of a changed life. Boldness because of a changed life. Life change is the proof. When something works, we let people know. Peter and John, uneducated, untrained, but they had been with Jesus. It says they had been with Jesus. He took note, they had been with Jesus. Jesus transformed their lives. The man's, lame man's life was transformed. Four verbs describe the Sanhedrin, these, these leaders. It says they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled and ordinary, they were astonished, and they took note they had been with Jesus. Has Jesus changed your life? Critical question, has Jesus changed your life? Would people say of you, he or she spends time with Jesus. Do they take note that we spend time with Jesus? Is there anything in our life that can only be explained by our relationship with Jesus? Like John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do people take note that we've been with Jesus? With Jesus. When we've been with Jesus, abiding, remaining in him, we have a life that's transformed. And that transformation gives us boldness. Amen. Boldness. In the movie Saving Private Ryan, there's a scene at the end of the movie where Ryan, who is now 70 years old, returns to Normandy, the beach in Normandy, and he's looking at the grave marker of a man named Captain Miller. Captain Miller was the man who died to save him during the Normandy invasion. And Ryan is on his knees in this scene. The grave marker is a stark white cross, and he addresses Miller, now long dead. He said, I've tried every day to live up to what you did for me. I hope I've lived a life worthy of your sacrifice. I hope I've lived a life worthy 
of your sacrifice. That sacrifice brought a changed life. Did Jesus' sacrifice bring about a change in your life? Beyond sacrifice, the power of God. We get to Acts 4, the 15th verse, 15 to 22. We're not going to read it this morning. But basically, it talks about opposition. It talks about opposition. Sixth reason for boldness. Boldness because of opposition. Opposition. Increased resistance produces increased determination. And in verse 19 and 20, it says... Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's eyes rather than to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Obeying God rather than man. Cannot help speaking with what we've heard. No one can argue with your testimony. When you say Jesus changed my life, what are they going to say? No, no, he didn't. Who's going to argue with your testimony of a changed life, transformed life? You say this happened to me. And we cannot help speaking what we've seen and heard. No one can argue with that. No one can discount your experience with God. And you get opposition. The more they say it didn't happen, the more we want to say it did. We'll talk more about resistance in a couple weeks. And number seven, boldness because of prayer. Boldness because of prayer. This is increased dependence on God. Increased dependence on God. We'll talk more about that, verses 23 through 31. Look at that. We're out of time today. We'll talk more about the role of prayer in the move of God in the church. Praise, we begin by exalting God and who he is. Prophecy recalls God's acts in the past and petition. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for boldness. Find that in verse 29, and signs and wonders followed. Boldness. It's God's plan, believe it or not. For all, now, we're not going to all be bold in the same way. I've seen people go on the street corner in a city with a megaphone and preach the gospel. And I go, oh, my word, I couldn't do that. I've seen people at a coffee shop quietly sharing their transformation across a cup of coffee and a pastry. I've seen teachers sit down with students and share what faith they have in Jesus and how he transformed their life. I've seen people sit down with someone who's going through a difficult time, a neighbor or a friend, and sharing Let me me tell you what I found in telling how Jesus changed your life. It's going to happen different in all of our lives. The Holy Spirit wants to do that through you. Boldness is going to look different in every life. Let's be bold. Let's pray.